Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Are you a bold and loving disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you quickly acknowledge and repent of your failures and mistakes? Let's open our Bible now to Jonah chapter 1 and learn from Jonah how to declare the truth and to be more dedicated followers of Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is Friday morning here in Texas and hopefully y'all are doing well and loving on Jesus and worshiping Jesus and uh, repenting before Jesus as uh, as I often have to do. So uh, um, today we are going to continue in, uh, in Jonah. We're going to do should be a little shorter teaching today, just Jonah chapter 1, verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. I have my wonderful Nescafe 3-in-1 instant coffee. Ah, that's good. Um, that's actually from Singapore. My beautiful mother-in-law, Peggy, um, always has it for me. And um, I had a a beautiful cup of coffee that I was getting ready to reheat and bring it up for the teaching. And uh, I went downstairs and my wife, um, just in a unapologetic fashion, just let me know that she poured it out. Shouldn't have been where it was. And uh, so it was my mistake. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And um, But I was blessed because I hadn't had the three-in-one in a while. So thank you, Lord Jesus, and thank you, sweetheart. That's my wife, May. So Jonah chapter 1, verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. We're going to go ahead and pray. We'll read it, and then we'll, we'll get rolling. Father, we do thank you for the Word of God, the living Word of God. We thank you for our Bible. We thank you for this book of Jonah. Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior and Master and King, your Son, who you gave for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we worship you and we thank you and we praise you, our living God, our Savior, our Master, and our King. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open the scriptures. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. We're in the book of Jonah. Again, in the Old Testament, chapter 1, today are verses 7 through 10. Verse 7. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Verse 9, he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Verse 10, this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So in verse 7, when it says, then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. 
They cast lots and the lot fell to Jonah. Just as a quick recap, Jonah was, was commanded by God to go and preach against the wickedness in Nineveh. Um, scholars and historians have said at this time, Nineveh was the largest city in the world, most say. Um, and it, was, uh, it had gross immorality and, and ungodliness and sin um, immensely. And so Jonah is ordered to go and preach the word of God and tell them to repent of their ungodly behavior. Um, but Jonah refuses to go. Okay. Instead, he goes the opposite way. He pays money to do it. And he boards a ship, pays the fare, and goes to Tarshish. Um, but because of this, it said in verse 4, Then the Lord set a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship was threatened to break up. All the sailors, verse 5, were afraid, and each cried out to his own god, little g. And they threw the cargo into the sea, the light in the ship. So Jonah's disobedience, Jonah's rebellion against God, puts the entire ship in danger. Could have been 150, 200 sailors. We don't know how many there were. Um, we're not told. But Jonah's disobedience, I say again, puts the entire ship in danger. And last time we talked about how, how our disobedience uh, as Christians uh, does have negative consequence on everybody. Um, so... We find in verse 6 that Jonah, in verse 5, it says he went and fell into a deep sleep. And then in verse 6, the captain goes and wakes him up and says, you know, how, how can you do this? In my study of this this morning, I was studying with Jesse and talking to Tom, the elders at Kingdom Discipleship. And uh, in our study, we found that, um, you know, just a, just a great observation that, you know, in verse, in verse 5, you see that the sailors are religious, but they don't know the true God. Okay. They don't know truly who God is. And the only way to know God, the Bible is clear, is through Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it clear Jesus in his own words in John 14, verse 6, his own mouth said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it's only in Jesus Christ that we can come into relationship with God. In and through Jesus Christ, God the Father becomes our heavenly Father, and we know him, and he's, he's our God, and we grow in relationship with him. Um, but the irony here is sometimes people who don't know the one true God, sometimes, regrettably, there are people who are non-Christians and like these sailors, they're calling on their own God, okay? They don't know God as Father through Jesus Christ, but yet they are devoutly calling on their own God, which are not the one true God, right? And yet Jonah, who knows the one true God, is in the bottom of the ship asleep. And... um Regrettably, that's a picture of, of the church today in many ways. Those of us as Christians, those who know Jesus Christ and are currently trusting in him and actively trusting in Jesus as our only Lord and Savior, 
are often asleep or, or, or we're walking around like we're asleep with the immense calamity that's going on in the world where it should be us who's proclaiming the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the power of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's our job as Christians, right, Sally? Um, it's our job to declare Jesus Christ to the world. But sometimes, like Jonah, Jonah's the only one that knows the one true God. He's a prophet of the one true God. The captain has to wake him up and tell him to call on his God. And as Christians today in church, we need a wake-up call. We really do. Um, all of us do. We need to be woken up, right? Because it's our job, those of us who know God as our Father through Jesus Christ, those of us who have received the forgiveness of our sins in and through Jesus Christ, those of us who have the Holy Spirit living in us, the Spirit of Jesus, those of us who have relationship with the triune God, as the Bible teaches clearly, God is a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all God. They're three separate beings, but they all have the nature of God. The, the nature of God means they're all all-powerful, they're all all-knowing, and they're all omnipresent everywhere at all times. It is our job to wake up and call on the name of Jesus and implore people in Jesus to walk with Jesus, to repent and receive Jesus into their heart, that the calamities that have just taken over the world would have Jesus as a part of it. It's our job as Christians. So Jonah's sleeping here in verse 5 where it says, But Jonah went below deck, Corinth, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Right? Again, sometimes as uh, we just get beat, we just get tired, and uh, you know we just want to go to bed. But um, you know, as I said, it's uh, we need to wake up. I do. We all do in the church today because it's our job. I'll say again, the sailors who didn't know God are various crying out to their gods. There are other religions who are praying all the time, and yet. They don't have relationship with the one true God through Jesus Christ. And yet often they're more devout. Now, everyone needs Jesus, right? Sometimes when, when other people from other religions, right, whatever the other religion is, right, it could be Buddhism, it could be Islam, it could be Hinduism, um, it could be agnosticism, it could be atheism, whatever it is. Sometimes when people who are very devout, it could be Judaism, come out of those religions, they become some of the greatest Christians of all time. There's little doubt that the Apostle Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, is considered almost universally as the greatest Christian to ever live on earth. Things were said about Paul that are said about no one else, right? The Bible actually tells us in Philippians 4 to follow the example of Paul. <laughs> and I've said before, uh, I mean, you better have your walk wired tight, right? Before you say whatever you've seen in me, whatever you've learned from me, whatever you've received from me or whatever you've heard from me, 
put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you as he is with me. Um, these are Paul's words. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. So Paul is universally known by almost all scholars as the most devout and accomplished Christian, the most mature Christian of all time. Again, he was used by God to write half the New Testament, okay? Um, remember, the Bible has two Testaments. The Old Testament, which spoke about the coming of the Savior, Jesus Christ, and the New Testament, where Jesus Christ unfolds on every page, right? Um, but the reason I mentioned Paul is because Paul was not a Christian at first. Paul persecuted Christians at first. Paul was as devout as a Jewish person could be 2,000 years ago. He was zealous for God as a Jew, but because he wasn't in Christ, his zeal was of no effect. He was actually persecuting and killing Christians where his job was actually to build up and encourage Christians, right? To grow to know Christ and walk with Christ. And so what we find in Paul is this man who has an immense zeal for God, but without Christ, without Jesus Christ in his life as his only savior, without being in Christ, his zeal is actually doing the wrong things. Now, in Acts chapter 9, Paul gets a divine revelation from Jesus. He's knocked off his high horse. Jesus reveals himself to him. Immediately, Paul gives his life to Jesus and goes on to change the world for Jesus Christ like no one ever has. And so I'll say again, there are people in other religions, and that is it's why our job, it's our job as Christians to wake up and to share the love of Jesus Christ, the mercy of Jesus Christ, the absolute desperate need of Jesus Christ to every people of every religion everywhere. Because I'll say again, when there are people who don't know Jesus, but they are devout in their other religions, when they come to know Jesus, they can and sometimes do become the greatest advocates for Jesus Christ in the world. So wherever you are today, if you don't know Jesus, give your life to him today. How do you do that? The Bible in Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What does that mean? What does it mean to need to be saved? Well, the Bible says that all human beings are sinful and that we need a savior to save us from our sins. And there's nothing we can do about that. We're hopeless. We're desperate. Nothing we do will take away our sin. All the good things we do, all the things we try to do right, none of that will be acceptable before God. We're desperate. We're hopeless. We need a Savior. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, God the Son, willingly became a human man, lived a perfect life on our behalf, died a perfect death on our behalf, and is alive and risen. Right? Now back to our scripture, Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you'll come to that position where you'll believe the word of God, 
that you are a sinful man or a sinful woman, as I am certainly a sinful man. The Bible says all human beings are sinful and that you're hopeless and that you believe the Bible that says Jesus came for you, lived a perfect life for you, died a torturous death for you, and is alive and risen. And if you'll call on him out of your heart, it's not the words that save you. And the Bible says everyone that calls on the name of the Lord, the words are what we use, right? But it's knowing in our heart that we need Jesus and then running to him and calling to him and saying, Lord Jesus, I do believe that you are the son of God. And I ask you now to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and trust and hope and confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. If you'll do that, you will be saved from your sin. All of your sin, past, present, and future, will be credited to Christ at the cross. And this incredible transfer, the perfect righteous life that Jesus lived will be credited to you. It's the greatest thought ever imagined, right? The exchange of the perfect life of Jesus Christ for all of my terrible sin. And then in Christ, we become spiritually alive and the Bible starts to make sense and the, the power of God starts to run through us. And we start to serve Jesus and love Jesus. Not because we want to go to heaven. We go to heaven based entirely on what Jesus has done but because we love Jesus and we know all that he's done for us and we want to serve him and proclaim him. And so if you haven't done that today, give your life to the Lord Jesus, wherever you are. Again, we see that the sailors who haven't given their life to the one true God, they're calling out to their own gods. And if you're in verse five, you notice God is little G. Where Jonah, when he speaks in, in verse... Um, Nine, he said, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven. Lord and God is capitalized. Um, the sailors had their own gods, little g, right? Any other God that's not the father of the Lord Jesus Christ is not the one true God, right? It's only the God of the Bible that's the one true God. And so give your life today, wherever you are, to the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might know the one true God in Jesus Christ, our Lord, right? Now, Jonah does know the one true God. So you have, again, this amazing picture of the one man who does know the one true God sleeping. And as I said, that's often a picture of the church today. Those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior are often less devout than all those who don't. And Father, I do ask you to forgive us for that. Lord Jesus, I, I am sorry where we have failed as a church, where I have failed just to, um, just to reveal you and to glorify you and to help others to know you. Forgive us, Lord, where our devotion to you is so much less than those who don't even know you, who haven't received the truth. And I ask you to help us, Lord, to wake up and to declare you and to love you and to call on your name, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You see in verse six, the captain went to Jonah and said, how can you sleep? And that is indeed what the Lord is saying to us today. How can we sleep? Get up, wake up, get up and call on your God. Get up and call on Jesus today. If you don't know him as your Lord and savior, rewind the tape and follow 
as I told you that you might come to know him as your Lord and Savior and have your sins be forgiven and come to know God the Father as your heavenly Father, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and Master and King, the Holy Spirit as your guide, your comforter, and your counselor. And if you do know him today as your Lord and Savior, wake up and, and begin to, to call on him and to declare the praises of Jesus Christ our Lord and to help other people to know Jesus and to serve Jesus and to love Jesus. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us and we will not perish. It's only in Jesus Christ. It's only in Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins that you and I can avoid perishing for eternity in hell. I know that's not popular. That's what the Bible teaches. It's only in Jesus can our sins be forgiven that we can come to know God as our Father and ultimately go to heaven when we die. Verse 7, Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell to Jonah. When something goes wrong, we want to know what's happening. But we can see the intuition of the sailors. Okay, Even though the sailors don't know the one true God, they, they know that this calamity is not an accident. Right. When bad things are happening, we ought to we ought to know that we have a sovereign God and that we ought to seek him for it. Right. Now, they don't even know the one true God, but they know enough to know that something is out of place here. So the sailors cast lots and sure enough, by the sovereignty of God. They cast lots and the lot fell to Jonah. Verse eight. So they asked him. They pepper him with five questions. They asked him, Jonah, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? The lot falls to Jonah and immediately the sailors come to him and they pepper him with questions, wanting to know you know, what have you done that's that's brought this on us, right? Sometimes I was I was discussing this with Jesse this morning and Tom, and, um, you know, oftentimes when we make mistakes, you know, we don't, we don't enjoy just people peppering us with questions. No, nobody likes that, right? And we can get bitter and we can get frustrated because we're already beat down, right, uh, Uncle Dennis? Um, but you see here, right, Leah? Um, they ask him these five questions, and they're five intriguing questions. But look what Jonah says in verse 9. This is Jonah, verse 9. It says, he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. When Jonah is asked these five questions, and when you and I are asked questions about who we are, the answer, we ought to answer like Jonah. And, and we don't enough, right? It ought to be our position, right? When people ask us, are you a Christian? Or who are you? Or where do you come from? Look at they ask him. This is powerful. Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Do you answer or do I answer and I say, we are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, Peyton. We serve Jesus. 
We have been forgiven of our sins and our soul has been saved and come into relationship with our heavenly father through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our lives exist to serve Jesus and to love him. For it is only in Jesus that we can know the one true God, know God the Father as our heavenly Father, and have our sins forgiven. We've lost our boldness as a church. Look at the boldness of Jonah. He answered, I am a Hebrew. When someone wants to know about you, you want to say, I am a Christian. I am a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a difference between a Christian and a disciple. You have to become a Christian before you can be a disciple, right? You have to receive Jesus as your savior before you can effectively follow him in anything, right? You have to have Jesus living in your heart. When you receive Jesus in your heart, the Bible actually says, Sally, he comes and lives in you and you become one with Jesus, right? Um, and after you become a Christian, then you become a disciple of Jesus, a disciple is a disciplined follower of Christ or a disciplined learner of Christ who is trying to emulate Jesus and live like Jesus in every aspect of their lives. You're trying to follow and become more and more like Jesus, more Christ-like in every manner and in every way. Does that make sense? Um, and so he answered, I am a Hebrew. You and I answered, I am a Christian, right, May? I am a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jonah said, he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven. I am a Christian. I'm, the, I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I worship our triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in and through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Why does Jonah answer this way? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the God of heaven. He's making it clear the distinction between all of their gods who are not gods. Little g, as it says, right? We can all have our own little gods, right? We can make a lot of things gods, and I won't get into that right now. But there is only one true God, the triune God, and we only know him through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jonah says, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Why does he say that? Why does he say who made the sea and the land? Jonah's letting them know that none of their gods created anything. But his God, the God of heaven, actually created and made the sea and the land. Now, it was the sea that the Lord had just stirred up, right? It was the sea, as you see back in verse 4, that God caused a tremendous, it says, violent storm to happen, right? And Jonah knows that, that, it was, that it was his God, the God of heaven, who created the sea that's causing the storm on the sea. And Jonah very boldly testifies to that. And this is going to be the beginning of Jonah's repentance um, and Jonah repenting for what he's done. Because remember... Jonah's disobedience here has put everyone in danger, right? And we talked about that, how as Christians, when we, when we disobey our Lord Jesus Christ, when we don't live the way the Bible tells us to live, it doesn't only hurt us, it hurts all those around us in ways that we often don't understand or will never understand. And, it, and in that place, it's for us to repent. 
Now, you begin to repent. When you repent of anything you're doing wrong, the beginning of repentance is just simply declaring that, that this is not how Jesus would have you to live. It's not about beating yourself up, right? To repent means to agree with Jesus, to agree with the word of God that your behavior is wrong, right? Whatever it is. Repentance begins in your thinking, right? If your thinking is not reflecting that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you repent by beginning to change the way you think, right? By changing your thinking to saying, you know what? I'm a desperate, sinful person, and I, in, I, I am hopeless, and I need Jesus. So we repent. Repentance begins in our thinking. In any ways we're not thinking according to the Bible, according to the Word of God, you change the way you think. To repent, again, means to, to turn around and to do a 180, to turn around and go to the way the Bible is telling you to think and the way the Bible is telling you to live. But you do that by acknowledging the truth first, right? You have to know the truth before you can repent of the truth, right, Dustin? Um, and so it all begins and ends with Jesus, right? So it begins by acknowledging and receiving Jesus if you have it. And if you are a Christian today, the beginning of repentance is to say, you know what, I'm a Christian. I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for me. And it's not fitting that I think like this or that I speak like this or that I act like this. That's where it all begins. It begins in changing your thinking and declaring the truth of who you are in Jesus Christ. Jonah says, I am a Hebrew. I'm a Christian. I worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Jonah says, my God made the sea who's causing all these problems. Okay, So he's acknowledging that he serves the one true God who not only created the sea, but is causing the violence on the sea that's put everyone in danger. And that's the beginning is our acknowledgement of it, our agreeing with God, our agreeing with the Bible, our agreeing with Jesus, our agreeing with the word of God, the scriptures. When we look into the scriptures, they're like a mirror. Right, Jesse? And when we see in the mirror things that are out of place, right, we make adjustments, we fix it. Does that make sense? Um, thank you, Lord Jesus. It's just the Bible is so incredible, man. It's just the living word of God. I'm always, I just love, uh, I just, you just, you grow to love these scriptures. Okay. Verse 10, and we'll finish up. This terrified them. Now, look about that. Why are they terrified? The word terrified means you're so scared you think you're going to die. You're scared to a point beyond reason. You're out of your mind scared. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? Parentheses, they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. When Jonah confidently affirms the truth of who he is, right? It's our job to just confidently agree in our own thoughts, our own mind, our own actions, and our own words. We just speak the truth of who we are in Jesus Christ, right? We speak the truth that we serve the one true God in Jesus Christ. It says they were terrified. Why are they terrified when Jonah speaks the truth, right? Jonah's repentance. Jonah wasn't trying to be scary to them in any way, and nor should we as Christians. Our job is not to try to bring terror to people. We just 
speak the truth. But it was the manner in which Jonah answered the questions. It was just the very clear, concise, unemotional, um, just matter-of-fact way that Jonah spoke the truth. I am a Hebrew, he said, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, right? They believed Jonah. They, they saw something in Jonah, something about Jonah, something about the manner of Jonah. And that's who we need to be as Christians today. There ought to be things different about us, right, that cause people to think. Now, obviously, they're terrified because they don't believe this is going to help them in the storm. They believe Jonah, right? They believe that it's Jonah's God who's calling this, causing this terror, and they don't know Jonah's God, right? They don't know the God who made the sea, the God who rules heaven, the God who made the land, right? And if we don't know the one true God in Jesus Christ today, we need to repent and run to him, right? But they don't know him. Now, the great news is before this chapter ends, all of these sailors, and this is amazing, through Jonah's repentance, all of these sailors are going to come to know the true God of heaven. These sailors are in heaven today because of the repentance of Jonah. And we're going to get into that in maybe the next teaching or two teachings from now as we finish up Jonah chapter 1. But um, all of these sailors are going to come to know the Lord, the God of heaven, before this chapter is over. Um, but... They're terrified because they believe Jonah and what he tells them. They believe Jonah's God made, the, made the, the land and the sea. They believe now that Jonah's God and Jonah are the ones calling this. And they're terrified because there's nothing they can do. There's nothing any of their gods can do. And ultimately, they're terrified because they don't know the one true God of heaven as Jonah does. And yet, so they drive themselves to ask, what have you done? Right now, this can go two ways when they ask, what have you done? Right. They could they could either be asking for specifics like, you know, Jonah doesn't tell them specifically. Right. That that I'm running away from the Lord. The Lord told me to go preach against Nineveh. He told me directly that I needed to go preach against Nineveh and its wickedness. I didn't want to do it. I wanted to do my own thing. I got on this boat going the opposite way to Tarshish going completely opposite what the Lord told me to do. And uh, because of that, you know, um, the Lord is upset with me. So he didn't tell them any of that. So when they say, what have you done? They could have been looking for specifics because all he tells them, it says they knew he was running away from the Lord, right? But he didn't give them specifics of, you know, why he was running away from the Lord or exactly what the Lord you know, what he did in running away from the Lord. So that is, could, it could be what it means, but it could also mean very much, why have you done this? Why are you doing this? Why did you do this? And again, in my study, as I was preparing, um, some of the guys that I follow and study, they made this point, um, enduring word guys, very solid commentary guys. They made the point that it really is the most natural question to ask. Even unbelievers, even those who don't know Christ, right? have some truth about God. And, and when they say, what have you done? Basically they're saying, well, why, why would you do this? And when we're in danger, they're in danger. 
they have they have nothing they can do about it. Basically saying to Jonah, why are you doing this? Why would you do this? Why would you why would you cause us all this trouble? And that is really the question of why is this happening really is the most natural question for us all, right? Why is all this happening to me? Why would you do this? You know the one true God. And, and as Christians today, this needs to be our exclaim. This needs to be just our proclamation, right? To ourselves. Are we crazy? Why would we live and go in deliberate rebellion against Jesus Christ? Why would we do it? you got to be out of your mind, Stephen. Why would you do this? Look at them. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? What, what, why? What, what is going on here? Why would you put yourself in us in this incredible position? And when, when difficult things happen to us, or if people hurt us, we want to just keep asking, why have you done this? Why have you done this? And, and uh, we just get so very frustrated. So wherever we are today, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, we've talked about it several times, go give your life to him. If you're a Christian today, you know, in whatever way you're running away from the Lord or fleeing from the Lord or, or uh, not glorifying Jesus, let's wake up today and repent and just go to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for whatever it is. I ask you to forgive me. This is not how you created me to live or speak or think. And I ask you to forgive me. Holy Spirit, I ask you to lead me and guide me into the truth of Jesus Christ, my Lord, that I might live for him and love him and obey him. We just repent. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, Father, we do thank you for the living word of God. We thank you for this incredible book of Jonah. We thank you for the lessons learned. Father, we do ask you to forgive us where we are responsible for calamity, as they say in verse 7. Let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for the calamity. Father, I ask you to help us to acknowledge just any areas of our life where calamity has come and where we have been disobedient. And I ask you to forgive us, Lord. Lord, help us to take responsibility for our actions and just uh, and be quick to repent, Lord. And Lord, when we're questioned, help us to be the first to say, as Jonah said, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven. Let us be quick to say, I am a Christian. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I worship the triune God of the Bible, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, the only Lord and Savior and Master and King of heaven and earth. Help us to be bold in our profession of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Father, I ask you to forgive us, Lord, again, um, you know, when we've run away from the Lord, and, and to forgive us, Lord, when we don't understand that when we're disobedient to you, it does have consequence not only in our lives, but in that of others, Lord. Father, we love you and we bless you and we thank you. We thank you that you are good, Lord. We thank you that you are merciful. We thank you, Lord, that even though we make mistakes, we have so much mercy in Jesus Christ. We have so much hope in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, we love you. We bless you and we thank you. We commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.